this morning when I arrived uh, for church, the worship team were practicing that song. And uh, I was sitting just going in my head over the, the sermon and had a real sense of God saying, There's, there are people here today, there's someone here today who needs to know the truth that Jesus' name lights the darkness. That there's someone, and I don't know who it is, God knows, uh, who's facing darkness at the moment, whatever that looks like. And you need to have the assurance that Jesus' name is the light in the dark. That you can step out into the unknown because Jesus' name is the name above all names. And it's the name given to us as his people. And we carry that name and wherever we go, that is the name. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that that name, Jesus' name, is the name above all names. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, if that's you this morning, is... And again, as this is something we do here at Forest Lake Baptist. It might be a little awkward if you're new here. We're just going to ask you if that, for you, you feel like, yeah, I'm facing some darkness and I struggle to see how the name of Jesus is, is above that darkness. And I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and we're not going to ask you what that darkness is. We don't, that's between you and God. If you want to share that with someone after the service, of course, by all means, you can do that. But we want to give an opportunity for us as a church. We believe that church is a place where people gather around others and pray over them. And so what I'm going to do is just invite you to raise your hand where you are and I'm going to get people around you to just lay a hand on your shoulder while I pray. If it's a lady who raises her hand, then ladies gather around her. If it's a guy who raises his hand, then guys gather around them. So again, we're not going to ask you what it is, but if you feel like, yeah, I'm facing some stuff at the moment and it's dark, then we want to pray the light of Jesus over your life. So just raise your hand now and we'll get uh, some people to gather around you. And we're going to pray. Don't be shy. As no one will, as I said, no one's going to invade on your privacy. Uh, but this is what church is about, isn't it, team? Where we pray for one another. Heavenly Father, thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you that it is the name above all things. It is the name that casts out fear and that your word tells us perfect love drives out fear. And so we thank you that we are loved as your children. And whatever we face, whatever darkness is looking at us, whatever place we find ourselves in at the moment, if we are your children, we know because Jesus died and rose again that you love us. And whatever circumstances may say, you love us. And I pray for these people who have raised their hands and even those who for whatever reason feel they can't raise their hands but they would love to, that even now they would know this, know in their hearts your love. That whatever the lies of the devil that he's trying to throw at them, that they're not loved, that the word of the Holy Spirit will speak louder than that into their lives and say, child, you are mine. That they will know that they are loved by Almighty God and held in the palm of a hand that will never let them go. Father, whatever darkness people are facing, thank you for the words of the Gospel of John that say darkness has tried to overcome the light, but the light overcame the darkness. And we pray for these people especially today that they would stay close to you in the greatest light we have, which is your word. That they would find nuggets of gold in that word. 
And Lord, we pray for our community as well, a community that has so much darkness, that your people would stand and be the people of light and that we would shine your light into a dark and weary world, that we would be, as Paul says, lights, little stars shining in a dark sky. And so, Father, I pray for these people who have raised their hands, especially this morning, that you would meet them where they are and that you would raise up people around them who will be with them, who will walk the journey with them, who will pray with them and who will reassure them they are loved by Almighty God. And as we open your word today, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? We're ready to listen. We're ready to obey. We're ready to do what you call us to do for your glory alone, not for ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, tonight we have a, we have a special preacher from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills when cometh my help. Sally Contessi is going to be bringing that word to us tonight. So uh, she's been, God's been working on her. She's been talking to me about it for some weeks over the holiday. And so now she's going to bring that word to us tonight. One of the things that made this Christmas New Year's break great for us is that there was one tradition that we finally broke. And we have lots of traditions in our home, like leading up to Christmas, we always go into the city. Christmas is a big thing for us, the Christmas tree going up, the light. I put up lights on the front of the house. They don't always look particularly good, but I put them up. But one of the things we always do between Christmas and New Year, and we have done for years, and I'm not sure if Catherine particularly chose to break this tradition or I let, she let it slip and I was happy to let it slip, was we finally, for the first time in years, didn't make an Ikea trip. <laughs> I don't like Ikea. There's something about Ikea that... I'm sorry if you work there or if you're Swedish, because I know that's a big thing for Swedish people, but there's something about Ikea furniture that is designed by the good Lord to test your patience. That if you say to yourself, I think God has made me a more patient person, he says, well, go to Ikea. (laughs) And other than the little Swedish meatballs that you can get there and the bottomless coffee, I mean, it's just a trap. It's a trap because you walk around and you see this lovely furniture and you think, well, that's a pretty good price and we, we probably need a new thing to put our feet up on at home or whatever they call it. And why do they have the funny names? Just call them what they are, a chair. They don't need to be called a... Just call it a chair. And you get these chairs, and you take them home, and they look simple enough, and Catherine says, hey, I'm going out to the shops now because I've got to get (coughs) groceries. When I get home, it would just be awesome. It would be lovely if that furniture were put together. I'd love that. And me, as a loving husband, I go, and I want to do it for you, darling. I want to do that because I want to bless you. And the other thing about Ikea is the instructions don't work. (laughs) And they've got that picture of the funny little man with the oversized head, and it's really easy for him to put together this furniture. And we bought this table and chairs once, and there were three or or four chairs to go with it. And I thought, this can't be hard. These chairs, they are simple chairs. And what I didn't do was I didn't check the instructions that said that the, le- the legs that go on the chairs are actually different lengths. The two shorter ones go at the, the back and the two little slightly longer ones go at the front so you tend to recline a little bit. I didn't read that. I just grabbed the legs and I stuck them on and when I sat on the chair, it was doing <laughs> like I was on a ride at Dreamworld. <laughs> and I thought, I know I've got a bad back, but this is ridiculous. 
Then I open the instructions. No, it's not the first thing you should do. The first thing you should do is not go to Ikea. <laughs> and so I had to undo everything I'd already done. So I'd, I'd taken probably a good 45 minutes to do this. I had to undo it all and redo it. And as I was doing it, it did occur to me that a little bit of stop at the start and think, what am I trying to achieve here? And have a plan. Because it didn't matter how enthusiastic I was. It didn't matter how, uh, you know, I really want to get this done for Catherine. I really want to make it nice. It didn't matter how enthusiastic I was. I was wrong. And there's this idea going around the world today that as long as you are serious, as long as you are enthusiastic, then it doesn't really matter what you believe. Just do it with your whole heart. Friends, the truth is we can be really, really enthusiastic and be really, really enthusiastically wrong. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and in this passage today, we, you might remember if you were part of our church last year that we went through the book of 1 Corinthians and we skipped chapter 14 because on the day that we were meant to do chapter 14, I got up to preach, about two songs before I got up to preach, God said to me, put your notes away, I've got something else for you to do today. And uh, God just really did a thing and spoke to people. And I said, we'll come, we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 14 at some point. And I've dreaded coming back to 1 Corinthians 14 because it is such a um, controversial passage. And the more I read over it, the more I went over it and over it, I realised that when people come to 1 Corinthians 14, what they usually do is they come to it with their own axe to grind and they just use this particular chapter of the Bible to, to, to kind of grind their own axe. And so perhaps you are full on for let's have lots and lots of speeching, speaking, speeching, speaking in tongues, but then you grab 1 Corinthians 14 and you nail that hard. Or perhaps you don't like tongues and uh, you come along to 1 Corinthians 14 and you say, I tell you what, 1 Corinthians 14, bam, no tongues. Or perhaps you come along and you want to say, I want to see this or that happen. And 1 Corinthians 14 is one of those passages where if you, it's not too hard to, to manipulate Scripture to say what you want it to say. And that happens. Let's be honest, that happens in church life. We want to make a point, so we find an obscure verse in Scripture, and we just make it say what we want to say. But the point of 1 Corinthians 14, we're not going to do the whole chapter today. We don't have time to do it, but I would encourage you to read it and read about it. This is one of those chapters of the Bible where private study is so important to really get your head around it. Now, I've studied it for years and I still don't feel like I've got my head around 1 Corinthians 14. But the key verse in 1 Corinthians 14 is where we're going to land today and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. And it says this, So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So often, spiritual gifts are one of those topics that where they should be used for the building and edifying and encouraging of the church, that the whole theology around spiritual gifts is used to actually tear churches apart, isn't it? And I grew up in a church that said, uh, really, being, they were really quite suspicious of anything that looked overly spiritual. And if the Holy Spirit had turned up, I think we would have gone, well, hang on a sec, we've got a form for you to fill before you do anything or say anything. 
And yet, when we look at this passage, Paul is saying to these people in Corinth, you're keen for spiritual gifts, you want to see spiritual gifts, you want to see the big ones, you want to see the the, the ecstatic ones, you want to see the ones that are miraculous, whereas Paul is saying, what I want you to worry about is how you build one another up in Jesus. And a lot of people use 1 Corinthians 14 to try and go against tongues. And I want to be really clear that we as a church are not against tongues. We believe it's a real spiritual gift. There are people in this church who have it, and that's okay. We're not against it. We're not frightened by it. As I said, I grew up in a church. I remember the first time someone spoke in a tongue in our church, and it was like, get away from them because the roof is going to cave in on them. We're not scared of them. There are people in our church who will speak in tongues. They will pray in tongues. They will worship in tongues, and that's okay. But Paul says it's not necessarily for everyone. Different people are given spiritual gifts. And I was in a prayer meeting a little while ago where I was prayed over because uh, I just had some health issues going on. And one of the people who prayed over me prayed over me in a tongue. I wasn't offended by that. I was blessed by that. And if you are someone who has the gift of tongues, because, just because you don't hear it in the public gathering of our church, because we apply the verse that says where there is a tongue in the public gathering... There should be an interpreter. We want you to know that we're not saying don't be here or extinguish this gift. In fact, Paul says, do not forbid it. Do not forbid it. But what he says is the Corinthians, the reason there was a problem in their church was because they wanted it because they wanted to look the part. They wanted this gift of tongues so that everyone looked at them and went, wow, you are something special. You are super spiritual. We're going to put you on a pedestal because you have that gift. Whereas the Bible clearly teaches that there is no gift that is greater or lesser than another. Because it's, the, it's God who gives them and he is not greater or lesser. The person who has the gift of service and the person who has the gift of generosity is no lesser or greater than the person who has the gift of administration. Every gift is given to the church for the church to grow in maturity. And so Paul says to them when they're looking for these gifts that are going to make themselves look amazing, he says in verse 17 of chapter 14, you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. See, it's really easy to even do things that look super spiritually awesome and actually been doing them for the wrong motives. To do, be doing it so that people look at me. To do things so that people look at me and go, wow, that is, that, that is a super spiritual person. They are a spiritual giant. I should, I should place them on a pedestal. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. If you think that that's what church is about as a place for you to be exalted and for the world around you to look at you and go, wow, you're just amazing, then you've misunderstood church. Church is a place where we serve. That's why he says, I would rather you have this gift of prophecy, which is speaking to one another the words given to us by God for, their, for the other person's encouragement, for their correction. And some, there's argument within people who 
who study the Bible to say, well, what is prophecy? Is it looking at the Bible and being able to apply it to a particular situation? And that's potentially one area of prophecy. But I think there is another area of prophecy that we often get a little bit concerned about, which is people who are given that spiritual supernatural moment to speak into a situation truth that they shouldn't have. And we've seen that time and time again in this church. And uh, we have a, a lady in our church who just recently discovered she has the gift of prophecy. And she came to me in the office one day, said, I want to talk to you about something because I was praying the other day and I just had this, this moment and I don't know what it meant. And she's a young Christian and I was praying for this person and I don't even really know them. But as I was praying for them, I was moved to pray for them for mental illness. There is no way they, she knew that this person has a mental illness battle. And I said to her, look, thanks for talking to me. That's awesome. Always pray for everyone. The issue you're raising is a, is a private matter and don't worry, the person who has that issue, I've already spoken to them. It's not like you're sitting there going, oh man, is Mark talking about me? No, we don't do that here. But there, is a, there was this moment where this young lady had this, I believe, prophetic word to say, pray for this person. And what she didn't know was the person who was dealing with mental health issues at that very moment, at that very moment, was in such a dark place that she was considering ending it. And now she's recovering. That, I don't know why you're not clapping that. That's awesome. Wake up. I believe in it. And I've seen it as a church. And I've had people come to me and say, Mark, I want to speak a word to you. Things that they've said to me, they didn't need, they didn't know that. But the key part is not about whether prophecy is more important or better than tongues or another gift is better than another. The point that Paul is making here is be more concerned about building up your brothers and sisters. Be more concerned about church being a place where you raise up others than being raised up yourself. In other words, understand that you are here for the benefit of others, not yourself. Yet the great, a wonderful thing about the truth of the way the kingdom of God works is the more we focus on building up others, the more we find ourselves built up, don't we? When we see that God has used us to build this other person up, we feel built up. And we get the model itself in Jesus, of course, when he goes to the cross for us and then he says, now go and love each other as I have loved you. That that's what church is about. And Paul has this vision that as, as people of his, these people come together and they serve together and they worship together and they build one another up together, he comes to the end, uh, midway through chapter 20, uh, 14 of 1 Corinthians. And in verse 23, he says this, and this blows my mind at what can happen when the people of God gather together and use their spiritual gifts to edify and encourage and build one another and to spur one another on to good works and to tell people about Jesus. It says this, if therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result he will fall face down and worship God proclaiming God is really among you. 
there's this vision, and I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday before every service we have in this church for the last 13 years, the worship team gathers in the side room and we always close our prayer time with that last verse. That if there is an unbeliever here today, they will fall to their knees, cut to the heart, and worship team say, surely God is in this place. We say that every week because we believe that there is power in the times when God's people come together and are loving one another and serving one another and encouraging one another and God will take those moments and people will come to know Jesus and we have seen that. And a young lady that Catherine and I know, she, she had been away from church for decades. She, she had been hurt really badly in a church many decades, 20 years earlier. And when we were still down in the old hall, she came one Sunday morning and after about a song and a half into the service, she left. And after the service, Catherine rang her up and said, hey, what was going on? Are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not okay because when I was there in the service and I looked around at all these people praising God and all the rest of it, it just hit me and I couldn't be there in the presence of God anymore. It was overwhelming. Now, in the meantime, praise God, she moved away and we kind of lost contact a little bit. She has reconnected with God and church. Yeah. Don't under... See, I think the problem is twofold. Oftentimes we come together looking for what am I going to get out of it. Or the second problem is we come together without expecting anything at all. When we come together as God's people, we should come together expecting that Almighty God in this place is going to touch people's lives. And even better, if we do what we do here well in encouraging one another and loving one another and spurring one another on and correcting one another and forgiving one another, then not only will God turn up here, then we will be encouraged to go wherever we go on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and God will be there every much the same and we can share the love of Jesus there too. Let's raise our eyes, friends. Let's raise our eyes beyond what is in it for me. That's what our world says. What's in it for me? What we need to say is, how can I love you? And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, I've been through seasons in my life where I was part of church and I was looking for church to come to me. But I would never have said it. I could have heard this sermon and go, yeah, yeah, I believe in all that. That's good. Amen. Now, where's the morning tea? Someone come and serve me. I'll stand in the corner and wait for someone to come to me. And I realized that I talked to a few other people in the church to go, hey, help me out with this stuff here. And we came up with four statements that if they come out of our mouth or they come into our heads, it's probably revealing that there is something broken about our attitude with church. Let me say that again. If these, any of these four statements come out of our mouth or come into our head, then there is probably something broken about our attitude to church. Here is the first statement. None of these statements are complete. So each one ends with dot, dot, dot. I'm happy to just, dot, 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 dot. I'm happy to just sit. I'm happy to just kind of connect. I'm happy to just turn up occasionally. As soon as we start to say, I'm happy to just, we've made it about what makes me happy, not how we serve others. Now, maybe you're hearing this and go, oh, don't go, ah. Say, Jesus changed my heart. He says he'll do it. Second statement I think we need to be aware, beware of. 
they should. Dot, 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 dot. As soon as we look at the, the family of church and go, they should, we're putting ourselves on the outside of the family. And we are the body of Christ in this place. There is no one on the outside, friends. Each one is a member thereof, the scripture tells us. Third statement. And this is a hard one. And you might hear this go, oh, no, 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 I'm not sure about this one. My kids don't like dot, dot, dot. In this modern age, we are, parents are under so much pressure to make sure our kids are happy. We will do things that are ultimately not good for them just so that they are happy now. And Catherine and I were, were talking with someone many years ago at the church and they said, oh, we've decided we're just going to disconnect from church. We're not, not just this church, but disconnect from church. And we said, oh, why is that? And they said, oh, because our kids don't like it. And in one of my wife's more candid, direct moments, she said, what other major family decisions do you get your four-year-old to make? <laughs> but friends, isn't that true? If we make our kids' happiness the primary goal of our families... Here is what will happen. They will never be happy. Because happiness is not found in circumstances. Joy is finding who we we are in the Lord Jesus. That was a big one. And I can remember when we were in that conversation at Macca's Forest Lake, great location, I was just like, "Mm, maybe I should pray. (laughs) Where do you go from here? And then the fourth statement. This is a toxic one. This is toxic for our own heart. Nobody else ever. Dot, dot, dot. Nobody else ever. Nobody else ever comes to me. Nobody else ever does this. Nobody else ever. But if we look at these statements and we go, you know what? The big two things that everyone needs to feel connected in a church are these two things. To be known and needed. To be known and needed. And when we step outside of the materialistic, narcissistic world that we live in and say, you know what, this is a place where I serve. This is a place where I love. This is a place where I step up for the better of other people. Then what happens is this place becomes more and more like the face of Jesus. And people come who don't know Jesus and they look and they say, there is something different about this place. Someone once said that the church is the only organisation on earth that exists for people who are not yet its members. That's who we are. And this morning I just wanted to do a really simple demonstration. And I won't say some of the comments that were made as I walked into church this morning carrying bricks. People were worried about me and bricks. I don't build very much stuff as my story about Ikea goes to show. But there's something I just wanted to leave with you today to help us all get in our heads that this is what it looks like to grow a healthy church. Because it's one thing to grow church. It, it's easy to grow a church. Like, it's easy to be bigger. Like, we'll offer, we'll offer lucky door prizes and we'll watch the people come in. Let's offer a, a car a month and you watch the people come in. But just like the Opal Towers, the great building will be rubbish underneath. What we want to see as a church is a church that is built that looks like Jesus. So I just got 10 bricks. And these are 10 things that I believe we need as a church to grow a healthy church. The first one is love. If we don't have that, throw the game out. It's finished. The second one is prayer. We must be a praying church because it's not our church, it's God's. 
And if we want to know what we should do, then we need to ask God because it's his church. This one. Truth. We actually need the spiritual truth of God, don't we? It's all good to love one another. It's all good to be one another and happy to having all that. But if we're not based on the truth of God's word, then what are we doing? Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eager. And I don't think that means each of you, one, one, be eager for the gift for you. I think what it's saying is, as a church, you be eager. You be eager to see people raised up by God with that gift. Be eager to see people raised up with the gifting to serve at playgroup. Be eager to see the seven people raised up to serve at the second morning service. Be eager to see people who have the prophetic gift speak prophecy. Be eager to see the people with the gift of generosity or service step up with that because this is a place where it is okay to explore what your gift is and to have a go and get it wrong and that's okay. We just want to see you grow. We want to see you be the person God has created you to be. The next one. Be a, I'm going to break this table and Greg's going to get angry at me. We need to encourage one another. When we see someone down, we get alongside them. We pray with them. We say, hey, let's go, let's go with you. Let's help you. We need to serve. And not just serve in church, but serve one another. And yes, the next one is we need to give. A healthy church gives. And this church gives faithfully. This church gives to overseas missions. I've seen this church give to Angel Tree Project. The next one is one that I just love. I love all of them. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Spur. Push one another. Challenge one another. Love one another. Go and do that thing that God has called you to do. Go and step up to the plate. Go and put your foot in the area of the water where you're like, I don't know where God, God's got to turn up here or I'm in trouble. And I look at our church at the moment and moving into two morning services, let's be honest, if God does not turn up, we're in trouble. And that's exactly where a church should be. If we only ever do things that we don't need God to do, then we're not doing what God wants us to do. This is the next one. Forgive. A healthy church is a forgiving church. And then finally, the capstone of it all, Jesus. If he is not the head, if he, you could put him at the foundation, you could put him at every level. Because every one of these attributes are attributes that Jesus taught us and showed us. And so my question to each of us today is, let's, let's be real, let's be honest. Let's search our own hearts and let's say, which of these bricks is the one I need to be focusing on? Where at the moment am I, am I not doing one of these things and it's time to step up? Because I'm part of a body here that loves God. I'm part of a body here that God loves. And the wonderful truth of every one of these bricks is that none of them is the sole purview of the pastor. Every one of us can do every one of these bricks. Every one of us can serve. Every one of us can give. Every one of us can forgive. Every one of us can lift up the name of Jesus. And that's what makes a great and healthy church that plants other great and healthy churches. Now, let me leave you with this. That sounds like a lot of hard work to me. And you know what? It is. Standing up and being God's people in this world is tough sometimes. 
going against the tide of narcissistic materialism, that's hard sometimes. But here are two wonderful truths that we get from Scripture. The first is, at the end of the day, it's not us who builds the church at all, it's Jesus. We just partner with him. And Jesus is building his church in, the, in ways around the world that we can't even imagine. And even stories came out again this week of more people who have been raised up and have escaped North Korea and we're finding out there is revival going on in North Korea. The underground church that is threatened with being sent to prison camps for being Christians, they're standing up and saying, well, send me to a prison camp and I'll tell the people there about Jesus. That's awesome. I couldn't believe it. They they said to this guy, we're going to send you to a prison camp. He said, all right, well, I'll tell people about Jesus there. Now where do they send him? The second truth is this. Whenever we serve, we're blessed. The moments in my life in church where I think I have felt and seemed the most blessed are the ones when I've been serving God the most faithfully. The times when I have been looking for church to meet my needs are the times when I'm already on the conveyor belt out of here. So here's the question for you. Grab a response card on the way out today. And if you want to serve in an area in our church where you're not serving, then write it on the back. Or if you just want to take a response card and write on the back, I need to step it up in this area and use this as a prompt where you can keep it in your Bible as a daily reading reminder that to pray over that, then do that. But how are we going to move forward? How are we going to step into 2019? We're already there, friends, as a church, is as we build that kind of church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're sorry for the times we make church about us. We're sorry for the times we look for church to meet all of our needs and we stop seeing it as what it is, the body of Jesus. And I pray for us, Heavenly Father, we don't want to be a church that just tinkers on the sidelines. We don't want to be a church that just goes through the motions. We don't want to be a church that can only do the things that we could already do in our own strength anyway. We want to be the church that steps out in faith and steps into places you call us where if you don't come through, we're in trouble. Because we believe that when you call us to go to a place, you will give us all we need and you will always be with us. And so our prayer, Father, is that we would be this type of church where Jesus is lifted up and where truly those who don't yet know Jesus will come in and see us and connect with us and fellowship with us and they will say, surely God is in this place. And our prayer, Heavenly Father, is in 2019 that you would raise up the seven people we need to do the second, help with the packing down the second morning service. You would raise those people up. You would raise up the people to help at playgroup. And most of all, that you would raise us up to share Jesus with our neighbours and our friends and our family on our front line. And we pray that as we get to the end of this year, when we come to the end of this uh, 2019, we will be able to look back and say, wow, look what God did this year. For your glory and for your praise alone. In Jesus' name, amen.